production on the Land of Israel Network. Recording this on November 1st, 2021, 26th day of Shabbat, 5782. I've got tourists coming back, people. I've got a mission starting on Friday. I'm so excited. Israel is starting to open up a little, not as much as we would like, but at least a little bit. And I just can't wait to get out there, Tanakh in hand, uh, around the country with people who haven't been here in a while and are really, really appreciating the ability to come back to the land. So I'm also very happy to have with me today Yehuda HaKohen, whom I'm sure many of you either listen to his podcast or have heard him be, being interviewed on some of the other shows. Um, but as many of you know, I am like constantly thinking and where we are, where we're going, what's going on, how it connects to the Torah's messages, how it connects to the greater civilizations at large. And I see that the world in general, I feel, is struggling to define what it means to be civilizations. I'm sure I don't have to tell that to a lot of you out there who are listening, who are looking around some of the places you're living and saying, what is going on here? I mean, what are the messages? What's happening morally? Where's the leadership? And living in Israel, as with so many things that happen in this country, tends to be in a very intense way. We've got all that plus, and of course, you know, our neighborhood. So we've constantly got these existential threats around us that we have to be on, on, uh, in tune with and, and wary of. But within all of that, there's just such an incredibly vibrant and amazing society here. But we also need to figure out where we're going. And so Yehuda Cohen is the head of the Vision, Vision Movement, and he's going to, we're going to just talk for a little bit, and I hope some of this will resonate with some of you. And of course, if you have questions, comments, to please be in touch with me or with Yehuda afterwards, because um, we can keep talking about all of this. So Yehuda, thanks for joining me today on Rejuvenation. And tell us, what, what's your movement? What is, what is Vision? Well, thanks for having me, Eve. The Vision movement works to train young leaders to identify and achieve the next goals of Jewish history. We come from the perspective that Zionism was this incredible revolutionary movement that completely changed the situation of our people uh, in ways that are sometimes hard to even appreciate. Uh, brought us home, revived uh, our ancient language to modern everyday use. Um, right. We, protects we can get us. It. Big one. Protects us physically. Protects yeah. Created this state, you know. Um, I, I think it's an interesting, maybe tangential discussion whether or not Zionism fought the British. Uh, we can say that the Lehi, the Israel, the fighters for the freedom of Israel, uh, were not exactly Zionists, but they were successful in dragging the Zionists into conflict with the British. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe more to unpack there if you're interested in coming back to it. Right. Uh, but, but I would argue that Zionism ended finished in 1967, that in the Six-Day War, we came back to Zion, we came back to Jerusalem, and and um, since then, we've been waiting for something new. Again, I'm, I'm essentially defining Zionism as the movement of Mashiach ben Yosef, as the movement to uh, rebuild material the, to rebuild the material body of the Jewish people, to actually rebuild our nation physically. But once that's completed, we need to be able to infuse that body with a soul, with a purpose, with a direction, with meaning. And that's the movement I think we've been waiting for since 1967. And as a result of us not creating that, um, I think we've been kind of living in this very um, uh, 
very precarious situation for the last few decades where we're trying to hold on to past achievements, trying to justify our existence using uh, very shallow um, justifications, in my opinion, and really hiding from our true purpose and our true destiny uh, in many ways. And uh, so ultimately, I think we need to empower ourselves and empower the next generation to really think about what Jewish liberation means, to think about what the goals of Jewish history are, what's already been achieved, what's left to accomplish, what's standing in the way, what are the obstacles in our path, and how we can be this Jewish history business story of those obstacles and advancing people to the next stage of our revolution. I think it's so interesting that you use history in a future tense as well, you know, because most of us think of history as whatever happened from yesterday back. And um, you're seeing, I think, Jewish history really in its past, present and future. And so what we're doing really now is creating the history of tomorrow. But that's not I mean, it's hugely important. I love how I love how you frame that, because uh, and the Bible itself really is is putting God into history. I mean, you know, it's a historical book, not can't learn history from it. I mean, you can learn history from it, but that's not why it was written. But it most definitely is that trajectory. And even though it was closed 2,000 years ago, that idea of the Jewish people in history and of how we bring God into that, I think, is very, very much alive. You know, a few years ago, pre-COVID, I, when I used to do like a scholar in residence, I, I was at a Shabbat in Beverly Hills, and it was Parashat Vayishlach, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And there's a great line in there, Vayavoya Kov Shchem, Shalem, Vayavoya Kov Shalem. Jacob has fought, he's become Israel, essentially, he's fought with the angel on the other side. He's come over, and he comes to a place uh, called Shalem, right side of Shalem. And there's a very famous Rashi, the commentator on that, that Shalem means whole. So he's, he's whole in his body, except for a little limp that he's got. He's managed to survive the tussle with the angel. He's whole in his, monet, in his wealth, even though he had to give Esav, his brother, something to just kind of calm him down for having stolen the birthright years before. And so he's still okay. He, he doesn't need charity. He can still give it. And he's still whole in his spirituality. Um, and I, I, I read that and I thought, well, Rashi, who, who lived a thousand, nine, 900 years ago, a thousand years ago in France, nailed exactly what's happening in the modern day state of Israel. First, we had to become physically secure and set the borders of the state, fight the wars, win the wars. We had to become monetarily secure and also water secure, and and we've reached that now through a confluence of very many strange events. Um, Here we are in 2021, really, the economy and, and the companies that are coming out of here and where Israel is in terms of, you know, fueling the world in so many different ways, we're there. And then the last piece is waiting for us, as you just really explained, is where are we going spiritually? So we have that but where are we heading when it comes to why we're here, who we are, what role are we supposed to play uh, in the, you know, in the coming decades and centuries? So how do you answer that? Or how do you start that discussion with your students who are you training for leadership? Oh, well, first of all, um, we have to become comfortable with power. Uh, the Jewish people <laughs> totally. spent roughly 2,000 years as completely powerless. And you know, and, and we were a colonized people, not just colonized in our own land, like the Algerians or, you know, or, or others, but we were actually 
most of us were taken out of our own land and a sizable, um, a sizable uh, segment of our population was actually taken into the civilization that had destroyed us, into Western civilization, into Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to many, many, many layers of traumatic persecution and colonization, what we can, I guess, call a Galut mentality, you know, if right. we want to simplify it. But, but that, that needs, we need to heal from that. And we haven't healed from that yet. And I think that when we came back here, you know, what essentially happened is once we succeeded in forcing the British to leave, the Zionist leadership um, lowered the British flag and then put a Jewish flag on a British system. And we've since then essentially had a European style nation state with some very superficial decor Jewish decorations uh, that are largely not Jewish enough for the sectors of our population most connected to our identity and, and heritage, et cetera, and too Jewish for the non-Jews among us. Uh, so, okay. uh, so it's like a very shallow, um, hard Jewish character. And I think that what most, what, what any nation who achieves liberation needs to do next is uh, enter into a post-colonial conversation. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a good metaphor, you know, uh, where'd you grow up, Eve? Los Angeles. Okay, so let's say you grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and when you were 12 years old, a bunch of people from, uh, I don't know, let's just say, Mexico to make it right. easy. That's a good one. <laughs> right? Invaded yeah. your house. Let's say a bunch of people from Mexico invaded your house when you're 12 years old. They rearranged all your furniture. They forced your family to listen to Mexican music. Uh, they forced your family to eat Mexican cuisine exclusively. And you didn't like it, uh, but they had guns and you were 12 and there's not much you could do. But then a few years go by, let's say you're 17 now, you've had enough, and you decide to fight back and you succeed and you force out the Mexican invaders and now your family is free. But once your family is free, you need to have a series of conversations. One of those conversations is where did the furniture used to be? And another conversation is do we or do we not want to put it back? That, that's a separate conversation. Uh, and the same with the music. Like, you know, on the one hand, you might resent the Mexican music as the music of the oppressor. But on the other hand, a lot of your uh, coming of age experiences took place against the backdrop of that soundtrack. So there's mm -hmm. nostalgia connection there, there it triggers nostalgia for you also the cuisine you might have gotten used to Mexican cuisine you might like it but right. at the same time it's the food that was forced on you so that's something that I think every people that achieves liberation needs to undergo this kind of post-colonial conversation and we've never done it we just kind of put a Jewish flag on a British colonial system called it a Jewish state and ignored all of the deeper problems and I think we're at a point, and, and I think the collapse of the two-state paradigm, which is obviously a positive thing, is forcing Israeli society to confront the questions we've been avoiding. I would actually say that the entire two-state paradigm, the entire conversation towards dividing this land into two separate states has been a way, at least internally, forget what the Americans or Europeans are trying to do through this policy, but for, I think, a lot of the liberal Zionists or what we can call Israel's westernized ruling class, this has been a way to avoid the deeper conversations that Israeli right. society needs to have about what it means to have a Jewish state. What, does, what makes a state Jewish? What makes a state democratic? Do these values necessarily stand in opposition to one another? Or can you have a nation state in the 21st century that's deeply Jewish, fully democratic, and actually able to inspire the rest of the world 
through the way we organize ourselves, through the through our policies, through our institutions, through the way we handle problems that the rest of the world is actually failing and dealing with. So how do we define what Jewish is? What does that mean? We're living in a theocracy. Everybody has to keep kosher, no cars on the road on Shabbat. How do you define that? Well, well I think question. it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you jump to those examples because exactly. that speaks to what we're used to. You know, we're used to thinking of the of somebody the trappings. Acting right. Well, well, we're used to thinking of of our our Jewishness being expressed through what the individual does. And maybe when you're talking about a nation, you you have to shift what the central, like for example, uh, maybe a more important question than whether or not, um, th- than whether or not there are cars on the road on Shabbat, maybe, uh, is whether or not banks charge interest or whether right. or not, uh, or, or whether or not Shemitah, we're in a Shemitah year now, we're in a mm-hmm. Shabbat year. Now, okay, so you know, you decide what vegetables you're going to buy. Maybe you'll buy Hetem Chira, maybe you'll buy Yuval Nochri, maybe you'll buy uh, Otzer Betin, but nobody's really having conversations about the socioeconomic uh, ramifications of Shemitah. Like, Actually, I did interview somebody last month, Aaron Ariel Avi, ex- about exactly that, because I think that that has been missed. Right, and, and, that, and yeah. we talk about the Jewishness of a nation, um, those questions might be far more central than whether or not every individual in the state is keeping Shabbat. Now, now I, I also think from, a, from the perspective of the public sector, Shabbat should be seen as a class issue because, you know, um, all yeah. of, it's funny that all of those, um, all of those voices agitating for opening up Shabbat, having public transportation and shopping malls and everything on Shabbat are, are essentially the wealthier Israelis who want to go shopping um, without any consideration for the workers who are going to be forced to work in retail or driving a bus on the one day a week their kids are home from school. Right. So I think when we talk, you know, when, when we talk about any of these things on the national level, whether it's Shemitah, whether it's Shabbat, whether it's um, banks charging interest, whether it's selling weapons to human rights violators, like I think we have to begin by trying to understand what is the value being expressed through this halakha, and how do you express that in the 21st century? Because it might, in some cases, look different than it did 3,000 years ago. We have to remember a, a post-colonial. Jewish state isn't going to look exactly like a pre-colonial Jewish state, meaning we're not going to go back to riding donkeys necessarily or, mm-hmm. or you know, like we're, we're not looking to just replicate the Hebrew civilization that was destroyed. We're looking to actually incorporate all of our experiences and the advancements of humankind over the last 2000 years into creating uh, not a giant Haredi community, not the Jewish Iran, because I don't think those models would really inspire the rest of humanity. I think we have to keep in mind that we've come back to life in order to create something, to be, to create a civilization uh, that will express our people's identity and values and its policies and institutions in such a way that will be a clear inspiration to the rest of humanity. Not because we're going to give speeches at the UN and tell people we're light onto nations, but just to be it. Like we don't, we shouldn't have to prove it to anyone. We should be organizing our society in such a way that it's just obvious to everybody looking that this is an oligoi. This is what is, that we got something right. And I think that it's important to point out that every time we've had power in history, we have uh, impacted human civilization in a very positive way. This way should be no different. The problem is until now, we've been hiding from our own identity and destiny, and we've been trying to mimic Western civilization and try to present ourselves 
uh, to the world as an outpost of Western civilization um, in the Middle East, as opposed to actually saying, no, we have something new and, and, and realizing ourselves that if we're going to find whatever it is we haven't shared with the world yet, we're going to have to look in the parts of our identity that we're afraid of, meaning the parts of our identity that we don't already share in common with the West, meaning anything we share in common with the West is the result of us already giving it to them many centuries ago. Uh, but for us to be able to give anything new to the world, we have to look to the parts of our identity that might ostensibly conflict uh, with what we already share with other peoples. And because that's the only place we'll find something new. So that needs to be something that we keep in mind as we unpack, as we heal from the trauma that we experienced uh, during the exile and try to rebuild Hebrew civilization in the modern age. So I've been doing a lot of reading just on a personal level about trauma and coming out of it. One of the lines that I read recently that really resonated with me is that everybody at some point in their life is going to have to betray themselves in order to save themselves. There's something that they're going to have to do that they thought they would never do, like it was an inherent part of them, in mm -hmm. order to be able to move away from toxicity or whatever it is that in the end actually might kill them. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about that on a personal level. I mean, I think we all have certain relationships that are not good for us, but in our minds, like, I can't cut this kind of person out of my life because of whatever relationship it is or, you know, that kind of thing. But then at some point you have to say, but the cost is too high. Uh, and uh, and I think that some, that what you just said just resonated with me because of that, because we need to do that to a certain degree as a people. So there's certain values, I think, that Jews have, let's say, human rights, that now we're, of course, being preached to by the world that we're not doing it right, which is almost funny, because they wouldn't even know what the word meant if it wasn't for the Torah. And, uh, you know, so now you can never, the Torah says don't murder, but now it's turned into you can never kill even somebody who's trying to come and kill you. So to some degree, what we gave the world has now been taken to an extreme, I think, and is now being turned against us. We've internalized that criticism, I think, to a degree that we're also like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. And the world will get mad. And, and that's a terrible thing. And that's not a Jewish value, whatever that means. And we're going to have to be able to stand up. This is how I'm hearing what you're saying, um, or maybe it's me saying what I'm saying, um, and to say no. First of all, that's that's a um, that's not the that that's a mutation of what the original value was, but also it's not compatible with life, really, with life, or definitely life as a people here in our land. But well, the way the Western world has solved that contradiction is they just separated church and state. They right. just said, well, we're, we're separating this and therefore, you know, what we do in the church and talk about, uh, you know, those values have nothing to do with how we behave on the battlefield or in the economy or, you know, how we run a society. Right. That, that's not our way. The way of Israel is to be a mamlechet koanim, the goy kadosh. We're meant to be a, uh, a kingdom that f that expresses a divine ideal in every sphere of human behavior, from sanitation and social services to warfare and diplomacy. Every aspect of our of our state needs to be holy, not religious, not the tea, right. but kadosh, right. holy. Uh, and and that's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to create this holy society that can reveal to humanity that the uh, army can be holy, the economy can be holy, uh, minority rights can be holy, um, uh, a banking system can be holy, like meaning all of these things can be uplifted to their highest potential uh, in a way that actually is fair and just 
um, and 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 actually does um, ensure people's rights as human beings. I, I don't think that we have to. I don't think that we have to distort our own teachings and uh, the values of our prophets and sages in order to live up to some Western model of human Correct. rights. I think that we need to go deeper into our own identity uh, and values in order to um, find ways to uh, apply these values in the modern age that really ensure people's rights on a very deep and fulfilling level. You know, there are there are some spheres where that's already happening. Like there are hospitals in Israel, in particular, the one that I know about is Shard Tzedek Hospital in Jerusalem, where, um, and I know I'm bringing up a very, very, very tender subject, but if a woman wants to have an abortion, she can go there and uh, as opposed to other places, other civilizations, and other, there, there are, there's a whole board of ethics, including rabbis, who will sit and study her case, as they say in Hebrew, there isn't just a no or just a yes, but if she was raped or it was incest, or even if it will cause her tremendous psychological distress in certain cases where she will not be able to function, they will give permission for that. Now, that that's, as I said, this is a very fraught subject, and I'm throwing this out there knowing that some of my listeners are probably freaking out. What? That you sanction abortion in the state of Israel? It's not a blanket it not it's not a blanket no or yes it is case by case based on the people that are involved which i believe is what the torah and really judaism is very much about there's you know not the black and white but seeing specific situations for what they are like you could say for example you know war right so we get we get constantly yelled at every time we defend ourselves when Hamas starts shooting missiles and trying to kill, not trying, but succeeding very often in killing civilians who are sitting in their apartments and in their kindergartens in, you know, outside of Gaza. How, how do we, how would you say that we, we should deal with that? And do we, do, do we simply just say to the world, listen, we don't really care what you think. These are our values. This is what we need to do to survive. Um, we're sorry if you don't like it, but, but we live in a, in a web of the world. We're connected. We do business, we do trade, we're, you know, we get things from the rest of the world. We can't just stand up and do what we want. So what, what do you say to that? Well, you might, you might not like my answer. Uh, I didn't have you on my show in order to necessarily agree with you. I had you on my show because I have an audience of people who think, or I hope think, that know already that I take them out of their comfort zones and my own more than once. And I want to hear what you've got to say, because I think that you're really one of the most creative and original thinkers that we have out there. And we have a dearth, because it's much easier to just go with the crowd. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you today. So I I appreciate that's a Tremendous comment. With that being said, you know, I have been working with Palestinians for the last 12 years or so, um, 12 years, and specifically with the aim of bringing together the Jews fully living Jewish and fully committed to Jewish identity and, uh, and are willing to fight for the things that have been important to us for the last 15 years for those Jews who begin to have relations with our palettes of most of us are living in the West Bank in Samaria. So for us to be able to have relationships with our Palestinian neighbors and not for their connection to Israeli society only be either through Tel Aviv, the peace industry, like European funded NGOs, uh, or just the soldier at the checkpoint right. or the hell they're in a conflict with. Like, right. oh, and my the mat right now, and again, 
you know, I consider myself to be dynamic and, and open to new information and, and reassign new growth. But where I am right now is, is I really do believe that most, really most of the things Palestinians pressed by are feats of um, Israel's, um, like, klipot. How do you say klipot? Like the, our... our the peels? The... The, the things that need to be discarded, meaning right. the, the, the colonial features of Israel's identity, the fact ruling class wants the part of the West and not the Middle East, and we handle a lot of issues. Though, you know, I, I would say the Jews Judea are not the Americans in Afghanistan or the French in Algeria. The problem is adopted policies often resemble the Americans in Afghanistan or the French in Algeria. Mm-hmm. I actually argue that Israel's military occupation of the West Bank uh, undermines the Jewish people's limit connection to Judea and Samaria. And, uh, and part of, you. you know, for me, decolonization is tshuva. What it really means for us is we return to ourselves, to return to being a health, independent land, living uh, our own values, living our own culture, um, and developing a society that will really export those values to the rest of the world uh, as a light unto nations. And I think that you know, um, our inferiority complex when it comes to Western civilization and this assumption that the values of the West are always going to be superior, more moral, more humane, uh, more ethical than the values of our ancestors, I think really holds us back. Yeah. Um, you, you see it sometimes, I, I think you see it sometimes with certain um, yeshivot that uh, we can call modern orthodox or whatever that that are always tried to kind of play down the aspects of our identity or our values that conflict with whatever is politically correct in the west but you also see it on the right i think you you also see it with um somebody like a Vigdor lieberman when when he was defense minister and he was challenged on why he was selling weapons to human rights abusers abroad he said well we follow the ethical nations like the united states and they sell weapons all over the world so we could do it too uh, meaning that we're we're the tail and not the head. And I know that every year at Rosh Hashanah in, in my house, we have the head of a sheep on the table as a siman that we should be the head and not the tail in the world, that Am Israel should be a leader in the world and not a follower. And we need to be comfortable with who we are, what we have to give the rest of humanity and not feel that we have to distort it to fit in with what's already politically correct in other civilizations. So first of all, I I happen to not think of Victor Lieberman is on the right, but that's a different discussion. Um, I'm very impressed with your sheep on the table. We usually do just the fish head. You must have a bigger dining room we table than I do. Fish. <laughs> we have a fish for another Simon, we do but the it, fish head of a sheep. But what you're saying again resonates with each of us as individuals. I think we just ext- extrapolate it to a bigger picture. When you mm-hmm. know who you are, and maybe it's because I'm already not 25 years old, and I've realized that life's not a popularity contest. I don't need to be liked by everybody. I need to know who I am. Mm -hmm. I need to feel that whatever gifts Hashem has given me, I'm using, that I'm doing whatever I can to make sure that the the people I leave behind me will be strong and proud Jews Mm -hmm. and live by the values that we have had for thousands of years um, and hopefully do that in the land and make this place the best that it can be. And if that bothers some people or people don't like it, that's just too bad because that's where I am and they can have their own belief system. But I don't need to be liked by everybody. And I think that as a people, 
we are still suffering from that. Like we want everybody to like us. Maybe if they like us, they won't kill us, which also isn't true. But, um, but, but that trauma that you spoke about is very, very difficult to get rid of. And yeah. we have an ingathering of exiles here, which means that we've got an ingathering of a lot of people who are traumatized in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not everybody here has survived Auschwitz, quite the opposite. Uh, right, but collectively we did. Meaning, co- yes, as a yes. collective, we're still well, well. Maybe that's part of the problem with Zionism as an ideology. I think Zionism, first of all, I, I would say that Zionism relates to the Jewish people as an object with a problem. The problem could be anti-Semitism. The problem could be um, assimilation. The problem could be persecution. Whatever the problem is, Zionism presented itself as a solution to the problem. And um, whereas I think today we should not be looking at ourselves as an object of the problem, we should look at the Jewish people as a subject with desires. Like now that we have a state and an army and power for the first time in thousands of years, what are we going to do with it? What is the world we're going to create with the power we've acquired? So we need to think of ourselves as a subject with desires. By the way, that's one of the reasons I don't categorize Lehi as a Zionist movement, because Mm -hmm. Lehi always saw the Jewish people as a subject with desires. Also Rav Kook, I would say Rav Avram Yitzchak Cohen Kook was not a Zionist. He supported Zionism, but he right. supported it from the outside. He related to the Jewish people also as a subject with desires. And that's still relevant today. We need to think of ourselves as a subject with desires, not as an object with a problem. Uh, and, and we relate to external... Um, you know, threats or what have you differently when we're thinking like a subject with desires. Meaning if we see there's an anti-Israel movement brewing somewhere or somebody who doesn't like Jews or, you know, if we're if we're an object with a problem, the answer is always we'll take him out, defend ourselves from him. But if you're a subject with desires, sometimes you can say, well, how do I use this person to advance my agenda? Meaning so, it's a different so how would thing. you do that? Yehuda Cohen, you are prime minister tomorrow or chief rabbi or whatever oh. it is, whatever role that you think would not necessarily make you ecstatic because those kinds of roles are very difficult to fill, but would enable you to fulfill your, you know, your desires or your goals for the Jewish people. What would you do? And what role would it be? It would be war priest. I want to be war priest. War priest? Okay, that's a good one. (laughs) It's funny. That's actually what they called me in the vision movement. That's my title. My official unofficial title is war priest. Okay. All right. So you're Uh, war priest. Now what? Well, I, I think that, first of all, um, I personally, again, we create a lot of space in our movement for people to come to their own conclusions about what the objectives of Jewish history are in this chapter of our story. But my conclusions are we need to get free of the United States completely. That's economically, militarily, culturally. We need to be free of the United States. Number two, we need to reconcile with the Palestinians. We need to solve our conflict. Uh, Obviously not in a way that compromises on the land of Israel or our identity, but in such a way that they can feel like winners and we can unpack that if you like. And the third, as we've already spoken about, is decolonizing Jewish identity. Uh, And I think that And I think that there's a, um, these are all interconnected. I think the more we decolonize our identity, the easier it is to reconcile with Palestinians and get free of the United States. The more we get free of the United States, the easier it is to decolonize and reconcile with Palestinians. I think they're all interconnected with one another. And, you know, once we get past those, meaning once we're past, once we've achieved those objectives, I think we might be in a place where we can have real conversations about a Sanhedrin or about a Beit HaMikdash or about Korbanot, but we're not there now. Like for me, not even when close. I, yeah. Right. And, and I, I see, unfortunately, I see so many Israelis 
who mean well, and they go up to the Temple Mount and they fight for like prayer rights in the Temple Mount. I don't want to, I'm a Kohen. I don't want to, I don't want to do Tfilot. I don't want to, what, you know, I don't want to pray on the Temple Mount. I want to do Korbanot, right? I want to, I want to do Korbanot on the Beit in the Beit HaMikdash. And that means, and I know that the majority of those Jews going up are not interested in that. Um, and uh, and I think that we need to understand where we are in the process. I think there's a lack of real um, deep analysis for where we are in the process of the Gula and the process of the redemption of what needs to happen in order for us to advance from step D to E and E to F and F to G. And so many of us want to just jump to you know X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't work that way. Like, so that, what would be the first how- thing you would do in this triple... Uh, you know, thing that you've got going on in the U.S., uh, well, well, our own feelings about ourselves and our dealings with our neighbors? Well, I would I would definitely, um, well, I'd be, I'd be doing multiple things at the same time. If you want to talk okay. about Palestinian issues, first thing I would do with Palestinians is nothing but start paying their civil servants Israeli salaries without saying a word to anybody. Just let every bus driver, policeman, hospital worker, teacher get an Israeli salary each month alongside their PA salary. Uh, The Israeli salary for most of those jobs is roughly four times what Palestinian civil servants make inside Area A. Uh, so I would um, let, let them just receive that um, just to slightly change the role we play in their story psychologically uh, after. A so let me of, be obnoxious uh, for a second. So um, let's say we're, are we buying their loyalty? Do we actually think that if we're giving them a better salary than they're getting from the PA, they will drop jihadist ideas or the ideas that we're the infidel and that, you know, we've no, shamed no, no, them no. by winning wars no. and all the other many, many, many other things that don't apply to necessarily each Palestinian, but, you know, you could say to the collective, or no, at least I, to I the people in power. First of all, there's a larger conversation about our relationship with the Muslim world. Um, I think that ultimately Israel is meant to become the leader of the Muslim world. Um, and that requires changes in us and changes in them. Mm-hmm. But the first step, I think, is just to it, it's just to loosen the bottle, so to speak. Like uh, when I talk about the civil servant salaries, it's really just it's not the real work. It's just an introduction to the real work. Then mm-hmm. I would decide who I want to deal with on that side, whether it's clan leaders, whether it's uh, young organizers, whoever it is I'm dealing with, whoever I think should be the representative on that side, um, an organic representative on that right. side, uh, not an American puppet or a European puppet uh, or an Iranian puppet. But yeah, rather- Mordechai Kedar talks about that, about finding the tribal leaders and the people who really count there. And who also care about their own extended family. Right. So in some cases, like in Hebron, it would be clan leaders. In in Ramallah, it might not be. But but whoever the leaders are, telling them, first of all, we have power. We need to build trust, obviously. We, because we are powerful and you're not, we're going to have to make the first move towards building trust. Don't make us regret it, but that wall is coming down tomorrow. We take down the separation barrier, we take down the wall, and we show them we're serious by doing it. We say we're going to do it, and we do it. Uh, we continue. We continuously marginalize the PA. We make them irrelevant. If we have to arrest them, kill them, whatever we have to do to the PA, we, we shut them down. Uh, or we just uh, allow Palestinian society to shut them down on their own because they want to. Right. And- and then uh, and we start moving towards what I would say is a one state reality that's deeply Jewish, um, meaning um, the policy like, like every Haredi child will experience the Jewishness 
in the policies and institutions of the state, but non-Jews or even Jews with very little Jewish education might just not recognize that these policies are Jewish. I Meaning you don't have to put Jewish stickers on everything, but you have to run the society in a way that really does express our identity and values. They get and, citizenship? That's always the big question yeah, when you talk. Yeah, about- I would, yeah, I would absolutely work towards uh, citizenship. You know, we'd say it's a process. Today we're taking on the wall. Two years from now, we want you all to have Israeli health care. Four years from now, this, you know, whatever. We, we take control. We say we don't have a right to this land. And we have a responsibility to this land. What we about have, the, those sitting in refugee camps? We have a conversation about refugees. Mm-hmm. We, we, we talk about everything. We talk about what's important to them. We understand, again, we're getting into a, a whole other conversation. Right, but, right. We're but, getting into the details. Right, but, but I would yeah. say that I, I think that the movie they're living in and the movie we're living in are two completely different movies. We don't agree over what the conflict is about at all. Um, but I think it's it's very easy. Uh, one of the conclusions I've come to is that it's very easy to create a one state solution in this country that will be considered a happy ending for us and for them. And when I say us, I primarily mean the Jews living in Judea and Samaria who are actively participating in the redemption process. I actually think that the contradictions between Palestinian aspirations and Zionism. And when I say Zionism, I mean Mashiach ben Yosef, I mean from Meretz to Yamina. That to me is Zionist. Smotrich is not a Zionist in the way I'm defining it. Like because? the uh, because I think he represents something like he, he represents more the approach of Rav Kook. I think that Smotrich looks at the Jewish people as an uh, as a subject with desire, is not an object of the problem. Mm-hmm. I think Smotrich is more consciously aware of Israel's true identity, our true relationship to our land. Um, again, these again, I'm I, I when I look at different political camps in Israeli society, I tend to see them as expressions of our ancient tribal identities. You know, Yosef is focused on the material well-being of Israel, economy, security. That's Zionism. Yehuda is focused on what makes us different from the rest of humanity, what makes us unique, what, what our culture, our values, our, our destiny. Um, and I would say just as Levi and Shimon are extreme expressions of Yehuda, like mm-hmm. in theory, we can look at the Otsma party as Shimon and the Noam party as Levi. Um, we can look at the That's Jews who vote for Palestinian parties as Don. Don is the extreme expression of Yosef. And of course, Yisachar are the Haredim who are kind of separating we, we have a whole article of, right. uh, go to visionmag.org we, we also run a magazine vision magazine at visionmag.org and we have pieces and podcasts and everything on all these things i'm um uh I, I'm, I'm trying to express but because uh, it, it really is a, a paradigm shift so i would say that the, the yehuda jews the jews who really represent our true identity and our true destiny have less of a conflict of interests with what the Palestinians, in my experience, really want than the Yosef Jews. I think for Yosef, it's very hard to reconcile with the Palestinians because um, they really want a they really want a European style nation yeah. state, the Jewish majority. That's just an outpost, of, you know, as Ehud Barak said, a villa in the jungle. Uh, whereas I think those of us who are really living Jewish history and who are loyal to the values of our ancestors and are looking to create something that's uniquely Hebrew and not just like a, a Western state with Jewish decorations, I think we can have a proper relationship with, with the non-Jews here, with our neighbors in the region, with the Islamic world. And again, remember that the tshuva of Yishmael, we saw it in last week's Parsha, in Parshat Chayi the tshuva of Yishmael is to recognize Yitzchak. 
right, to recognize Yitzchak's role as Avraham's heir. Mm-hmm. But Avraham actually had two missions in life. His first mission was to create a religion that will be, oh, that will uh, make people aware of Hashem and bring people mm-hmm. close to Hashem. And his second mission was to create a nation. So the first mission went to Yishmael, that's Islam, and the second mission went to Yitzchak and to Yaakov, to Israel. Uh, but the proper relationship is to is for ultimately Islam to be a Noahide religion, for us to turn Islam into a Noahide movement all over the world, and for Israel to be its leader, for Israel to be its bridge to the divine, bridge mm-hmm. to the divine. It's fascinating. And I know you've got so much more to say. We're, we're out of time right now, though. But we're, well, I definitely, if you're willing, want to pick up this, this conversation, because of course, there are a lot of questions that if we're still going to be a democracy, like all very well and good, but you have the numbers game, right? And if they're 40%, right. and uh, you know, then they could just vote Israel with all the wishful thinking. They right. can just vote Israel right out of existence. And those are the things okay. that have come up all the time when discussing this kind of solution. And I threw out an idea that I actually Please. heard on your. I, I do listen to your show sometimes. So oh. uh, you you had uh, General Gershona Kohen on. Uh, a yeah, few months ago. that was tough, by the way, for me. What did you get it? The scheduling it? No, that was tough because I went down to Gush Katif and ah, I lived there right. for the last two months before the disengagement. Sure. And he, as the leader of the army, you know, as the commander who took everybody out, and I know his reasonings for it. He felt he did a better job than someone else would have. It was still very hard for me to have that conversation with him. But go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Well, he said, I mean, that we can have a whole conversation about him yeah. and his role there and, and him as a thinker, et cetera. But one of the things he said on your show that I found uh, really important and that we should think about is he said the New Israel Fund and the Tikva Fund are really two sides of the same coin. They're both working to westernize Israeli society. Right. And we have to be uh, we, we have to be aware of that, whether it's Kohelet or Tikva or whatever, these, uh, these efforts to make Israel more conservative in the Western sense are not helpful because what we really need to do is decolonize. What we really need to do is reject a Western identity, whether it be liberal or conservative, in favor of rebuilding Hebrew civilization. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so, the new, so whether it's efforts to make Israel more of a liberal Western society or a conservative Western society, we, we should be rejecting both in order to create our own models, to create our own structures and to create and to to as vehicles for our own values. So when it comes to things like demography, the numbers game, democracy, etc., I would just say we should favor a participatory democracy, not a representative democracy. And a participatory democracy is not only more democratic than a representative democracy, it's also more Jewish because it resembles uh, an ancient Hebrew system, the captains of 10 model, uh, but also uh, it would make demography irrelevant and it would allow us to be f- to cr- to create structures that are fully inclusive of non-Jews in a way that that they feel they have democratic control over the structures they live under while not threatening the Jewish character of the state. Do you have an article on what you just said? Because that could be uh, an entire other discussion. Probably. And that I, that we, yeah. Uh, on on vision.net. Okay. Okay. Okay, because these are all really out of the box ideas, and uh, and even just discussing, just you say to rebuild Hebrew society. I don't even know if we know what that means. Right. Um, you know, we want to go back to. I mean, the Hashmonim did some great things. They also did some awful things. Torah right, right. Judea, Torah Judaism bears some resemblance to the rabbinic Judaism most of us practice today. The, I mean, the, the transition of what has happened over the last three thousand years, what we did in the first temple period, and what we do today. 
Very, very different. I mean, the, the, the Icaron, the, the underpinnings are the same, but the actual, how, you know, there's no, I mean, I find it very hard to believe that they had two sets of dishes for dairy and meat in the first temple period. A lot of what I had started off with the trappings of Judaism of today are fairly new for an for our ancient civilization. So what does even that mean? You know, what does that mean? What are we going back to? Or maybe we're inventing something new, like Michal Goodman and other people talk about now, the philosophers, that Israel is now the opportunity for the next stage of Judaism, whatever that means. And So everything you know, you're saying, everything you are saying right now is part of the post-colonial conversation right. in the United that you should exactly. be part of that conversation. You should actually, maybe you should write for us at Vision here and there. Okay, we'll talk <laughs> in my spare time. Well, now that I'm finishing my master's, maybe I'll have time for that as soon as my son gets married. But anyhow, what, okay. What's your master's in? The Land of Israel Studies and Archaeology. I nice. did, wasn't guiding this year because I wasn't guiding this year. And so I went back and got a, another MA. So I'm actually finding that that combination of a master's in psychology and a mm-hmm. master's in Land of Israel Studies and archaeology and learning the Bible now really for the first time on an academic level, which is very different than taking Torah classes with the wonderful teachers that I have over all these years and very challenging in many ways. My mind is blowing. That's all I could say. I mean, my listeners just get a little piece of what's going through all the time. So we'll see. I may take you up on it. Yoda, did I lose you before I got to say goodbye? Uh, Hello? You there? Hi, hi. Okay. Lost you for a second. We'd have to have a separate conversation on all of that. Totally. Okay. Terrific. Yehuda Cohen, thank you for what I find was a very enlightening conversation because any talk that I have with somebody that leads in my mind to 50 to 1,000 other talks that I want to get into is uh, is fabulous. And I hope that my listeners feel the same. Yehuda Cohen, uh, vision.mag. Everybody go take a look. No? no. There's visionmag.org. Visionmag.org, Okay. You can check out my podcast at the, the Next Stage Podcast at Vision Vision Podcasts, um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a Vision Magazine podcast. Uh, the we- the website is visionmag.org for the magazine and visionmovement.org for the broader movement with our programs, etc. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for having me. I, you'll be back. Okay. Take care, everybody. Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Thank you to Ben and to Tabitha for putting this out. Um, and uh, just wishing everybody health and only good things. And to add to that, we're so excited in Israel because it rained yesterday. I know it sounds like such a small thing, but for us, it's a really big thing. It is a blessing. And we're just reveling in the fact that our cars are now all dirty again. But seriously, it's a great thing. And we should also have just a rainy winter. And Chodesh uh, Tov, the, uh, the, the month of Kislev is coming up as well, the month of light and of Hanukkah. And uh, so there's a lot going on. And if you see the deeper meaning in the everyday things, it just paints it all in bright colors and not pastels, never pastels. Okay, everyone, take care. Goodbye for now.
Josh Haston here, host of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel radio network at thelandofisrael.com. Make sure you check out my show every Monday, bringing you the news unfiltered and uncensored information that you are not getting anywhere else, especially not in the mainstream media. Israel Uncensored with Josh Haston on the Land of Israel network at thelandofisrael.com.